This podcast episode is brought to you by Freedmind Fabrications is a custom jewelry and metalsmith studio out of Colorado, owned and operated by Nathaniel Fife. Nate has been designing and creating custom pieces for clients since 2013. Custom pendants, wedding bands, engagement rings, necklaces, bracelets, earrings, grills, and more. Nate can bring any idea you have to life. I've personally owned a piece from Nate for almost 10 years, and it's held up through all of my travels around the world. Highly educated listeners have been given a special discount of 10% off all of his work by using the code HIGHLYEDUCATED at checkout on his website, freedmindfabrications.com. That's highly educated, all lowercase, one word. Promotion is valid for a limited time only. Freedmindfabrications.com. Welcome to Highly Educated, the podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman. And on tonight's episode, we have East Hampton Village Police Chief Mike Tracy in the house. Mike's been on the force for 40 years. Yes, that's 1984. The East End community has changed quite a lot since then. Mike comes in to tell us his insights and how the community has changed. And he tells us all about society and policing, him being a creative person himself with a little bit of different views, and also how he's became a farmer most recently. We'll get into all these things and more on this week's episode of Highly Educated. Cheers. Mike Tracy, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Kind of breaking into the bare bones, Mike, who you are, where you're from. Um, you said you summered out here basically your whole life and you had family here and that's what made you migrate out to the East End. But yep. we talked about how there's a lot of differences. You want to shed some light there? Yeah, I uh, I was born up the island, and uh, my uh, parents traveled quite a bit. My dad worked for a pharmaceutical company, so I lived I lived in Illinois. I lived in Pennsylvania, uh, moved around a bit. But every summer, we spent in East Hampton because my grandfather was here, my uncle was here. So, you know, that was our that was our vacation for the whole summer, the day school got out to the day we went back, and. Uh, and we, we, we did that. We were transients until um, the summer after uh, my ninth grade. And um, actually, I was, a, uh, I was a cancer kid. Uh, I got sick out here uh, the last week of the summer uh, when I was in ninth grade. And, uh, and um, we went back to Pennsylvania, where I, you know, obviously where we lived at the time. And, uh, you know, I found out that I was going to need some medical attention to at leukemia, so it kind of knocked me out wow. of the, it knocked me out of school for a couple months. But I went back in and, uh, and um, you know, stayed stayed in Pennsylvania um, at, at the same school. And uh, the following summer, my family picked up and moved to East Hampton full time, and uh, I ended up in East Hampton High School in tenth grade. And I had all my summer friends still. None of them knew I had been sick. They didn't know, you know, why. We right. Where Where has Mike been? Yeah. No. Right. And uh, it, it was a, it was a pretty smooth transition actually because I'd spent so much time out here. So I knew a lot of people. My family knew. Uh, they had plenty of friends out here, and it was a it was a very very smooth transition. And uh, you know, moving moving to a n- new high school was different, but I knew quite a few of the kids. So it made worked. it it made it a lot smoother it than, was than a normal yep. just throwing you in. Yeah, I had my my friends from the beach, uh, friends that I surfed with. Very very smooth and. Uh, 
it was it was a, it was a good move, very good move. I'm very happy I'm here. What what is just to just to go back on just for a second because I feel like we like fast forwarded it because I'm, <laughs> I'm so surprised. Um, what was that like going through leukemia at such a young age? Was it was it because you know we're talking back in the in the '90s. This is not when tech tech is at its finest and things yeah. are at its finest, research or otherwise yeah. treatments. I mean, it, it was um, it was a strange time um, being you know, the age that I was, I was at. And I, I find that even now I'm learning about, you know, the impacts on other people. You don't realize the impacts on your, your, uh, your folks, your siblings, and you tend to focus on yourself, you know, your, your, your young, young kid. Yeah. Um, there's, um, you know, you focus on yourself. You're pretty much self-centered. And then as you get older and you realize, uh, looking at other people that, you know, go through these, uh, these same, same illnesses, uh, you realize you see it from from a different view, and you realize what your folks went through. You, you realize, um, you know, that your life would, took a little bit of a different path. Sure. And you realize what you learned much later in life. I find, and it, and that stays with you. And it's that that, fortunately, that's the baggage that I kept was the positive things that you're able to bring to your life down the line, and that's. It, right. it kind of gives you a boost. It kind of gives you a certain advantage, I think, through life. Well, because you know you can survive something so yeah so yeah. difficult. You, yep. That kind of gives you the, the, the prowess to know that you can handle yeah. basically anything at that and, point. And a little perspective and, and some humility. Sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, absolutely. I mean, how, how humble and hum, humility do we – how much humility yeah. do we have as, as ninth graders? You know, we're not – we're pretty much little shits at that point I, in society. I, I was definitely a, a major pain in the ass kid. Um, so, <laughs> But you got – so you, you got better. You, yep. you joined East Hampton High School. You moved full-time. Yep. You found your place. So how did that kind of – were you – did that transition into, like, were you in high school? Were you interested in music or were you interested in arts? Or, or like, were you, how, how did that I, kind of blossom? Because I know you're a creative guy. You do music yeah. as well on the side. You play, you jam out. You I, play a little something here and there. I kind of got addicted to music um, early on. I used to uh, sleep with a, a set of headphones on, big headphones like these. Yeah. And I used to plug them in, and I had a 10-foot wire attached to them. And I would listen to some of the FM stations, you know, over in Connecticut. Of course, we didn't have any decent radio here at the time. And uh, right. I, I listened to music all night long. And then when the music transi- transitioned into news, the, the thing was playing in the morning when I woke up. So it was kind of a, an odd uh, introduction to it. But I was addicted to music and uh, it just, just uh, al- always playing music. And, and uh, you know, just it was always part of my life, although I didn't jump in uh, creatively. Uh, till I became an old man, um. <laughs> <laughs> but but now but what, did, now you grew up in in the counterculture, right? So so how how what was that like? And then taking a career in policing after going through kind of that hippieish counterculture, yeah, yeah. W- was that? I mean, transitioning. Did you always were you interested in law enforcement in the beginning, or was it like you no. kind of just fell into? Like, yeah. what was the situation? My my. Uh, my uncle was a uh, county park ranger out here for many, many years. First, he actually was a village part-time cop, hmm. and John Tarbot. And uh, then he went to the county and, and rose up in the ranks in the county county uh, park parks division and uh, law enforcement. And he kind of got me involved. I, I went away to school for a couple of years. Um, I did not finish. I went away to, uh, to uh, school in Vermont. And uh, the majority of my studies were uh, skiing, <laughs> and, uh, and, and Budweiser. When I, and when I came, 
when I came home, yeah, uh, surfing, and, and uh, it just wasn't for me. And so, you know, three and a half years, kind of a little, little bit of a waste to, to some extent. Um, but I came back here, and he got me into uh, looking at, you know, law enforcement in the county. I started taking different tests. Uh, I think I, I worked even uh, two summers at a, as a security uh, aide for the county mm. and met some nice people. And, uh, and I just took, te I took every test uh, that came under the, you know, came out. Uh, I did pretty well in most of the tests, and, and uh, I was given an opportunity to become a part-time cop with the village. Glenn Stolmetz uh, took me under his wing, and um, in summer of 84, you know, they had put me through the police academy uh, the, that winter. In the summer of 84, I started walking, walking the streets of the village uh, as a foot patrol guy with a couple of other officers. And um, actually, one, is, one of them is the, is the current mayor, Jerry. Yeah, Jerry Larson, he's, the East Hampton town or East Hampton Village he, Mayor. Excuse yeah, me. he yeah. started the same summer I did, and then uh, you know I never imagined that I would be on this, you know, in, in this job for forty years. But I'll tell you, it, it was it went fast. It went fast, and I don't regret a minute of it. It's been I've been so lucky every step I've taken, um, and and uh, most of my successes or all of my successes are attributable to others. And because of the things I was allowed to do and the things I was encouraged to do, and uh, I found that seems to be the way with a lot of things. People are willing to step aside at times, and and uh, push you forward, or or just you know. Well, is isn't that the part of being truly great at what you do, right? When you reach a point of impasse where you realize that there's other people that can assist you in your goals, and and when you kind of let that barrier down and let people help you in your pursuing of goals, that's, that's when the magic kind of starts to happen and people start to collaborate. And, you know, yeah. sometimes we shell ourselves off cause we, we're, 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 the, we're, you know, we know it all and we know things and, you know, people can't uh, help us. You know, it's like we get so in that mindset, especially nowadays yeah. um, with so much information being out there so easily yeah. available for everybody. You know, we all, we're all know-it-alls, you know? Yeah. So it's yeah. hard in this uh, day and age, especially to do something, how, how you were using all these collaborative efforts. So that's, that's yeah. completely positive yeah. that you had that, um, uh, you've had that space to operate it. Yeah, it's 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 um, it's interesting. There there are there are many many smart people out there, and uh, and there are many people that are willing to share. And uh, I've just I've been so lucky. And uh, you know, I, hey, I won't be shy about stealing an idea and saying, listen, hey, we should get that done. Sure. And if if it's not getting done or something's not getting done, it's very easy to step up and just say, hey, why don't why don't I work on that with you or why don't I get that done? And and if they want to work on it with you, they usually do. If they don't, more often than not, people are like, have at it. And that's really that's that's a wonderful opportunity to, to, to be given those those uh, and trying know, things. Yeah. But now from going back to how you started, so you know, like we said, you started nineteen eighty four. I mean, this is yeah. or eighty five. It's it's just you're going from foot patrol, East Hampton, quiet, 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 yeah. quiet. Now it's just this bustling insanity in the summer you know the town population goes from 20,000 to what is it now like 150,000 or something like that um so what what was that kind of like like just from being small kind of ghost town tumbleweeds <laughs> all year round to now zoo in the summer and it's yeah. still pretty busy in the off season now yeah it's it's that's changed that 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 the one thing i i should point out it seems like it's obvious but there there was like a light switch that got thrown at some point where we, we used to call people, you know, the summer people. Sure. And there was a, there was a, like a measurable 
light switch thrown and oh they're not going home <laughs> right. you know remember the guy too nice they're not going anywhere Okay, to sit on the side of the road in Bridgehampton with the, the goodbye sign. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, but yeah. you know, and and it was that was you know funny right away, and then it became it was like sad. It's like and then the the guy disappeared because nobody goes home or nobody goes away. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so. <laughs> right. Exactly. His house probably got bought by somebody, and now, he, now he's gone. <laughs> yep. Yep. And. and yeah. Yeah. That must be crazy how that transitioned. But just in terms yeah. of like policing, like what? Yeah. How did just? It must have gotten so much busier from your time on yeah. patrols to then. But the, obviously, just to just to put a four um, a little foreground here to everything. Yeah. Um, East Hampton. If you're not familiar with this area, it's the east end of Long Island, New York. We're going to be fair here and say the crime rate is abysmal comparably to other rates, other parts of the country that are, sure. you know, dangerous, et cetera. Um, not that there isn't crime here. It's just a different type and right. it's, it's differently applied. But in that sense, going from this small, quiet nature to this bustling place, like we're going to see yeah. more things like burglaries, robberies, things of yeah. uh, financial value, scams. Yeah. So you get a lot of those things, I imagine. But I assume it, it would just skyrocket over the last 15 years or so as technology's also skyrocketed. It, it, it skyrocketed, but we tend to notice it, you know, chronologically by by incident. In other words, uh, oh, we've never had this. We've never had that. The, the measurement of, sure, staffing increases, you know, the, the cost of everything increases, um, you know, the size of the department, the, the equipment change, everything, everything moves that way. But, but you'll notice different types of crimes, as you said, you, you know, more serious crimes, more violence, more domestic violence. Sure. It, it seems like there's more, more I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, poorly handled health issues and that's that's illuminated by the fact that we have the volume of people here that are getting sick, and more serious illnesses are being handled out here. Sure. Whereas when years ago everybody went to the city, right? Now now the city's coming here. Sure. And uh, so the you know there's a, there's a, chair, uh, a change in the healthcare. There's a, a rise in our ambulance services. Uh, you know more serious. Uh, you know things are being handled here. As I said, um, there's change in there. You know and. Um, uh, you know the, the the system is being stretched. You know our 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 fire system, our ambulance system, our hospital systems. Well, because it wasn't built for yeah, this population, exactly, it wasn't exactly. built for this amount of people. And, it was and, built for a much smaller population. And, even the roads, the, and the infrastructure, the roads, That's that's sure. what I was just going to say. The sure. roads. Um, you know, one way in, one way one way out. I mean, it's it's almost comical. They 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 calling calling it the trade parade, but it is, it, it's it's almost unbelievable to someone that is not always here you try to go to kennedy airport you know in the, in the early or late afternoon from east hampton uh you better start yesterday yeah and, uh, you <laughs> know it would take about three and a half hours yeah you, you know jfk hotel uh is looking good you know <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's, it's just a nightmare and, yeah. and it's crazy how we haven't changed any of those things w within infrastructure yeah. and and I understand, like, there's certain things that just don't make sense, right? Like the water yeah. mill traffic light. We know classically that makes no sense. We yeah. know why it was put there. It was put yeah. there so people would stop and shop in water mill. If they stop at the sure. stoplight, they look around. Oh, I'll go into these stores. Yep. So because people want to push to retailers and corporations, now we have to deal with traffic for the entirety of Long Island, yep. the east end of Long Island, just because they wanted to put in a somewhat they thought was a good idea. That's so right. it's just crazy how we don't change these things over the scale of time and just look at it over the course of 25 <laughs> years and say, hey, common sense, there's only two people turning at this light 
every month. Yep. So why don't we take it out and put it yellow or something? Yep. You know, yep. it's just we know we don't. I don't know. We're just not very progressive on these things because it's a slow moving town. You yep. know, yep. Uh, politically, le- legislatively, it's yep. a very slow moving animal because you do have such a weird divide between old, young, uh, rich, poor, yep. Yep. middle ground, this and that. There's yep. a lot of the, uh, a different groups out here trying to amalgamate and, yep. and get things done and it's a slow process well just look at our, look at our cellular service um <laughs> i mean who would believe that with all the the money and technology uh, that apparently is here yeah. you can't make a phone call you know? nowhere yeah that's a, that's 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 crazy absolutely that's crazy. nowhere yeah. and so let's talk about this in a term of community right like so policing and the community so when you started it was a certain set of principles, I'm sure, right? Because there was a certain chief that had his uh, way of doing things. And sure. I'm sure as the next chief comes in, he has his way of doing things. Next guy, yourself comes in, you have a way of doing things. Yep. Sure. Now, how hard is that to kind of implement these things and to get an entire department on board with your ideologies and what you want to do? Does it take the lead by example approach for them to respect you or was it like already immediate respect because you had already been working for the department like how, how do those challenges arise in your position because i feel like they can be uh, hurdles as well with within your own departments to get people on board with certain things because you have it's the same as any other pool of knowledge you're convincing somebody of something no matter what so it's the same premise but you're just doing it in a, in a job position yeah it's you know what it, it it starts with the attitude that comes in the door i find your attitude first and those are the people you hire and with this particular job it's important to hire the right people you have to have the mood for the job you have to have the sense of humor for the job you have to you have to have empathy uh, in order to succeed in this job and success by success I mean the public seeing you as a success like a home run you say oh that I say it all the time now because it's an outdated term anyway uh, in, the, in the way that I'm using it, you know, this guy's a home run. That that lady's a home run. This, yeah, this one, yeah. and um, and and we get we get a lot of good people. I mean, we've been very fortunate. Again, we hire the right people. I, of course, I'm I'm biased. I think I think I hire the right people, and I, <laughs> I think that my my predecessors have hired pretty damn well, and um, and we're very lucky to have that. Uh, that being that being said, I think um, you maintaining a sense of humor as a leader. Um, you know, I find something funny every single day I come to work. So you say sense of humor, and I find that perfect because that's really – if you don't have that as, as a police officer, yeah. or if you don't have empathy, or if you don't have these things, how can you be um, solid to your community? How can you be true to your community? Because really, if you're just pulling over being aggressive and, and kind of getting at everybody and you're trying to be this way because you, you had some chip on your shoulder or something, yeah. um, and that happens. You know, we, we see that all the time as well. So – how that's it's so important to what you just said in terms of getting a sense of humor and and being empathetic every day waking yeah. up and having that and not waking up with the mindset of i'm going to go out and do some damage today or i'm going to go out and you know give some people some tickets like that's not the mindset you should have you're you're there to help people at the end of the day right. and to and to um assist you're as less than you are to police really right i mean yeah. we see things uh, many 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 tragic things we we experience horrible things we see others going through tragedy, you know, just chaos and damage and so forth and so on. And and one thing you learn is, you know, when when uh, when you think something is a is a big deal or you you're about to make a big deal over over something, it could always be worse. And uh, and there's a lot of people that have it worse than we do, 
Uh, mm. It's important to keep that in mind. It's, it's important to remember that. And if you live your life realizing how lucky you are, uh, when you are lucky, um, <laughs> right. or you have things to be grateful sure. about, um, it really settles things down. And uh, man, if it's if it's not a big deal, don't make it into one, because uh, a big deal will find you at some point. And uh, you know, enjoy it while you can. You know, obviously, but but uh, I try to I try to teach folks perspective within this job. And, and, and it's how you deal with people and how you handle things. You know, that, that's a, that is a great impact on people. It doesn't take very much in this job. You can change someone's day. You never know what happened to them that day. You know, something's going on in their life. But you can make a big difference by just the smallest effort. And, it, and, and when, when it happens, you know it right away. You know, what's a, what, what, what is a big deal in someone's life? You might be able to change that just a pinch, just enough, and um, it's pretty neat when it happens. And and uh, guys that guys that know it and appreciate it, I think they make better cops. And I think that's the best we can hope for, other than choosing the right people. Sure, um, sure. But that's 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 the that's the whole job right there. That's the whole and job in in a nutshell. Um, common sense, and treating people right, and and treating them how you would want to be treated in the same position. Now, that's, that's it. Now, how I guess we'll, we'll shift a little bit here to talk about kind of society and policing because that's kind of where we're headed mm -hmm. with the conversation as we're talking about it. Um, you know, we see a growing disconnect between I ideologies in the country, so much polarization. You know, there's, there's camps that say defund the police. There's camps that say fund the police. There's camps that say this and that. There's a million ideologies swinging out there in the world, right? But we have to sit back and say, what's feasible? What will actually um, impact the community directly? Mm -hmm. How can we repair the relationship between community and policing? I think it's all relevant to what you just said, right? It, it starts with the administration in the police departments hiring the right people who are empathetic, compassionate, that don't have these like chip on shoulders to be aggro at people. Um, and those things are all crucial. But how do you kind of take this on, a, on, on even on a, a U.S. scale, because there's such a uh, disconnect? How, where do you even start? It's basically a nationwide, it's a nationwide issue, but we have to deal with it on the home front. We have to deal with it. What's a, what's a bumper sticker used to say? Uh, think think uh, uh, think globally, act locally, or right, right. It, or is it device is the opposite of that? I get <laughs> um, no. You know, there's the, with all the states having different guidelines for their police. You know, if everything isn't uniform, as as many believe. Uh, if you watch the nightly news, you know you you'd be you'd be led to believe that. Um, you know, law enforcement is all the same everywhere, and and the and the guidelines are the same, and they're not. The standards uh, are vary greatly, um, more so than they should. Uh, there should be standardization of uh, just about everything. Um, sure, there's going to be fluctuations in the hiring process and so forth. Sure, and, you know, different fitness standards and so forth. But you know, it, it's it's it. There should be there should be a a accreditation standard nationwide. Now there, there there are some outfits that 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 sell you know canned standards and canned guidelines and all this kind of thing. You know, and 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 they're you'll you'll find that they're mostly written uh, by attorneys and and uh, 
not necessarily uh, practitioners. So no compassion involved. Well, <laughs> you, you know, but, but what about guaranteeing practicality, like you said, you know, for the, for the region, for the size of your department? You know, New York State has an accreditation program. There's about 400 agencies in the state, and uh, not, not less than half of them are accredited, I believe. You know, it's by choice. You, you choose to take up state accreditation, and you go through this, uh, you know, process where you're examined by the state of New York. And it, it takes a little while. It takes a couple of years. And then your standards match that of the state of New York. And um, That allows funding, right? Well, it allows funding, but, but um, it's also a reduction in liability because you, if you stick to your standards, you, you make a few less mistakes. Sure. Quite yeah, a few. Right. And, um, but that's impactful. Those quite a few could it, make, it is, you know. It is. When you look around uh, at much of what, what's bad in policing around the country, you'll see some commonalities. Training is a word that's always thrown out there. And standards. And rules and regu- rules and regulations, and rules and procedures, and you know you look at something on the news and you see something, if if it's not exactly right, it should jump out at you, and very often, sadly, there's a reason for it, you know, mm. and um, and I think that's one area that somehow we have to figure out to get everybody on the same page, training wise, and. Uh, you know, standards, that, that's just, there's a huge, huge gap across the country. And that allows for things to slip through. And uh, sometimes things slip through or slip by, and they're not addressed until it's too late. And um, I, don't, I don't mean to oversimplify, but, you know, when, we, when you have mistakes and you have tragedies, uh, obviously blood pressure, uh, opposition, you know, this one side versus the other, this opposition... Um, and a wall gets built, and it's, you know, it's it's us versus them mentality. Um, that that's forget it for an organization, you know, even in private the private sector. You think think about a corporation that doesn't respect its its customers, right. and doesn't listen to its customers, and when you take sides organizationally, you're you're in for you're in for problems, and um, you know you have to constantly be looking for ways to change for the better. You know, not, not, it's not an indictment on the system, but how can we change hiring standards, for example? Hiring standards that allow us to hire locally, you know, like school districts do. Right. State of New York, pretty progressive state. You know, why are our law enforcement hiring standards different from, from our, you know, educational standards in, in, in hiring the state education department? Sure. You can, yeah. you can be a, a local kid, go to school get your teaching degree, come back, and, and, uh, and apply with the, sh- excuse me, the same shot somebody else has to get a teaching job in this community, but you, you don't have that same guarantee if you're trying for a police job. It's very different. You know, the testing system is different. You're, you know, you're, you're tested. Uh, you got one shot. You take that test, and... and uh, you if it's sp- below a 95, good luck. You, below a 95, you're not even going to be in the top 10,000. Yeah, it's definitely a, a distinct advantage, you know, when you go to a call and you, you, you know the people that you're dealing with. Um, and, and whether that be a house fire or ambulance call or police call or, or somebody's in distress, it's certainly an advantage to, to know who's walking through the door. And it's a big help to the community to, you know, to bring us together 
Um, there's so many different people in this community that volunteer, not just in the emergency services, but take a look around you, you know, um, and that's, you know, that pulls the community together. That makes, makes us uh, the special place that we are. And I just think that, you know, if you have people in these critical areas that aren't from here, that don't live here, you know, we're, we're missing out on a lot by, by having that. I, I was going to pry, actually, and ask you that personally yeah. because my opinion on it is pretty firm. I, I, no offense to the police officers who work in East Hampton Town Police Department. I know yeah. not all of them are from here. Right. But I, I always found that very strange how we can, you know, have somebody policing our community that's not necessarily from the community or live in the community and you know those tax dollars go back to their communities that their pay goes back to those communities so they're spending their money in the other communities but policing the community here and and like i said it's a part of what the system is i understand i'm not i'm not dogging anybody for taking part in the system that is in play but is that an issue in some sense like because do they not understand maybe some communal values or some aspects of community as one would or let in an even tighter question if they do have a lack of understanding, is it the responsibility of the local officers of which they work with to bring them into this community? Well, I think that I mean that's 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 very tough. I, I you know a lot of folks that that work here that don't live here. I mean that you know you've got that trade parade, you've got that distance. You, a lot of people that want to get home right away. And this podcast episode is brought to you by. Wampum Skate Shop in Bridgehampton has all the winter essentials you need to stay cozy and warm this season. Custom-designed hats, socks, and winter beanies are available now, direct on their website, wampumny.com. Highly educated listeners will get 25% off all socks, hats, and beanies for a limited time only by using the code HIGHLYWAMPUM at checkout. That's HIGHLYWAMPUM, all lowercase, no spaces. I've owned Wampum Apparel that's over 10 years old. Seriously. Shirts, beanies, hats, and they all still look new. Their quality is unmatched even after 100 cycles in the dryer. Don't be underprepared this season for those cold weather days. Snag a beanie or some socks, or even get someone a nice holiday stocking stuffer or a gift. Visit WampumNY.com. Yeah, you may not recognize some of those guys that are on your that are on your softball team uh, that are only playing once a year. You know, uh, (laughs) but but you know, I don't I don't blame anybody uh, for you know wanting to wanting to get out here. I mean, the jobs are very good out here. Oh, I'm sure it's the pay, it's the crime. Oh, sure, sure, it's everything. Yeah, sure. But 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 simply put, we don't have the local control that I would like to see. Now, maybe I'm just it's wishful thinking. You know, the civil service system. And the testing, I I find that the testing is antiquated. You know, the relevance of the testing to someone's success in the police field, I don't, I don't like it. I I just think it's not an indicator. Your score is not an indicator of your, of your success down the line. Well, think about that as a person. If you go and take a test in school, your personality shines 20 times more than your grades do if you're showing up on grades. You might have a kid that gets C's, but his personality is golden. And that, and who says he's a a bad cop yeah, who are, right. would be a bad cop. He might be a great cop because he has great personality, like a sales guy. Yeah. Sales yeah. guys have great personalities. That yeah. would make some great salesmen. You know, it's it's the same kind of job. You want to have the relationship yeah. with somebody that you can talk to them and be charismatic and understanding. Yeah. These are yeah. all things we're talking about. Yeah. You know, if, if you hired teachers the way you hired police officers, we'd have a lot of problems. Uh, more problems <laughs> right. than we do. I mean, if you had a teacher 
that went through the interviewing process. I mean, years ago, I used to uh, do some to to do some work with the school board and yeah. interviewed a lot of teachers over the years and principals and stuff. And if you you picked somebody out of a pile that j- just because they had the highest grades in college, and they have a a, a lousy personality, um, you know that that's that's going to be one failure. If you hire a cop with a lousy personality, that's one huge failure, right? Because you're going to have multiple problems there. Lawsuits, not, not community just, respect, not just, not just bored kids. Yeah, you're not going to, you know, it, it, you give your kid a bad teacher, he's going to get bad grades. Um, give the community a bad cop, or I, I don't, I'm not going to say bad cop, but just somebody that's that's not just quite the right fit. Uh, right, exactly, exactly, and you know, and. Uh, that's, that's not good. It's, it's very bad. Well, so you say you've been very fortunate in the village of East Hampton, yep. and even the town you think is, is a solid force. Now, the, the, yep. um, the rest of the country, right, and these places that are notorious for improper policing and bad policy, et cetera, bad administrative policy, et cetera, um, complaints, people that are, you know, these, these and it's mostly in urban, you know, urban cities and, and places that are of much uh, more volume and, and craziness and, and uh, crime rates, et cetera. How do they not being a small community with that like direct grasp and overreach, how do they change things? Is it like, is it, are, are we too far gone? Like, is it too far gone to where we can get this thing back in a term of administrative on the way down? Like are people too shifted in their mindset? Are we too like back the blue and, and fund the, like are we too in that mindset to kind of reset and come back? Or do you think there's still some kind of bargaining room there between two ideologies? I think the more c- control a community has over their hiring, the better off you're going to be. I mean, it sounds like common sense, but, 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 you know, the community knows what it's looking for. Um, we know what our families want. We know what our standards are. We know what our expectations are. I mean, we control our schools. We control our curriculum for the most part. You know, we control the hiring of our staff in our school system, you know, and, and, in a way that's farmed out for us to the county and sure. to the state. Right. And I, you know, I just, it's not an easy fix because the civil service system is, is, is built to protect people in, in a certain way. But, you know, this is the state of New York with the state education department. And this is the state of New York with the state department of criminal justice services. Uh, why are there two set sets of thoughts in terms of, local control. I mean, you go to a state school, you, you get a state degree, you come back locally, you, you complete the standards that the state dictates with some county standards thrown in. Sure. And, and uh, you go for your interview, you're able to get hired. That's not, the sa- that's not, not even remotely the same way. We joke, uh, just joked about 11,000 people. We, you know, we sent out 11,000 letters to get, we didn't even we didn't reach the eighty fives. We got in, we started getting into the nineties on the huh. test. Huh. Eleven thousand people. Wow. You know, it's 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 just it's a staggering amount of people. Like twenty eight thousand people took the test well, the well, year well, I took it. Well, Tw- let's shift. Twenty eight thousand people. You said eighteen thousand failed it. So, right. So that that's okay. So you're saying it could be a testing issue, and the testing is antiquated to what the kids are putting out these days, and, and the knowledge that's being possessed. I, I have never met anybody that writes those tests or even is asked for input on those tests. Not that I should, but right. 
Neither is anybody else. <laughs> sure, right. Like, there's no checks being done. It's like the same old boring I, you know, textbook. That's right? my. I, I'm going to allude to that fact uh, as it if it's a fact. It's just my theory. Well, hey, that's see, okay. See, my you're theories. entitled to have theories. You've had 40 years on a police force. I'm pretty sure you're entitled to have your theories. Um, that That's interesting, though, that you say that because it seems to me, I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Are more people applying to be police officers or less? I mean, is 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 the number staggeringly going up? Is is what is that like? Is is the actual numbers? Are kids finding that this is like what they want to do more now, and they're applying more? There's more and more people applying all the time, and uh, which is great, but there, it's sad because you know you look at you look at somebody that's that's uh, you know local kid, good personality, gets along with people, well liked, um, you know, doing everything that they can to to to, to get ahead in life. And they decide, oh, hey, you know what? I'd like to try be- becoming a cop. And you, you know, you look at a kid, and well, you know, I bet that kid would be, he'd, he'd, he'd really fit in. And and you and you know, deep down, person may not even have a chance in the world. Mm. That's that's ridiculous. Right? And it's ridiculous that that's even a, a notion. Uh, absolutely, that, that, that you think he'd be a great fit, but he's not even considered because of X, Y, Z. And well, one of the things, you know, if if I can try to throw one solution at it instead of just complaining. Um, one thing they have, they have a, they have a part-time police officer program. Uh, I, I went through that in 84 as, as did many of my friends. And, you know, you go to a reduced course hour wise, but you get the same amount of legal information and, and, uh, your firearms, your phys ed, you know, you get, you get, you get, you get a decent amount of training in, in six months. And then you become a part-time officer and you get certified by the county and you get a, a diploma, but you're not yet able to be hired full-time because you didn't take and pass, and pass successfully the civil service test, mm. which is, you know, your score on a test, you know, marked up with 100, you scored, that's how you're scored, you, you know, you, how you get closer to 100, and, uh, and that's it. You either, you either beat everybody else or almost everybody else, you know, beat, beat the other 10,000 to even have a shot. It's ridiculous. And are these like essay? I don't. I know nothing of the exam. Is it? Is it like SAT questions, or is it like more so? Uh, Jim is this skin color, and James is that skin color. And what would you do in this scenario? It's, like, like how? Like, yeah. is it that antiquated, or is it this that, or what, um, is it goofy? Like, it, it, you know, it's a lot of re- reading, interpretation, and you know, standard, you know, uh, standardized testing. They say you could right. you know, if you if you take a take the test, you don't know anything about it. You're you can, you know, pick C, but um, <laughs> there's no rhyme or reason. You know, there's a there's a personality phase in it. You can see it inside the test, um, you know. And then the, you, you, your your sergeant's exams are are a similar test. You know, reading and writing interpretation, so sentence rearrangement and all that, with some law questions, and uh, about five, and then the lieutenant's test is uh, that test uh, with the reading interpretation and so forth. And about 15 law questions. And the captain's test comes up, and that's got about 20 law questions. Mm. And they are just out of left field. Sure. They're just, it's just, you know, I think they pick the law questions based on how funny it'll be to make you study that section of law that you're never going to see again. Well, that, and, that, and that's sometimes what you see, right, in these, like, viral videos. You have these kids who are, like, very well educated on the law. They've studied the law, and then they go out looking for, you know, some cop to pull them over just so they can school them on it. And they got them on camera, and it's the whole thing. But is that a point to, should we 
perhaps. And I know there's a big problem there because, yes, should all cops know every single law and penal code and blah, blah, blah? I mean, like, yeah, in theory, in a perfect world, sure, but it's not realistic. They're not going to memorize a 5,000-page book. Yep. Um, and, and to that, it's not their job to. Their job is to uh, police the community effectively while also providing a safety net. Yep. But if you're, um, you know, not uh, so in tune with that legal stature and you got somebody doing this and that and whatever and you got all this fuss – People's solution, right? The, the new day and age is, oh, uh, we have to train these cops more on the law and the legality. Okay, well, what does that look like? Is that an extra 10 months of training? Now in an urban city where you need police officers on the ground now because there is rampant crime now, how do you uh, get those guys trained out in time? You don't. And that's why a lot of these things get cut, I'm sure, because they need guys. They need police forces, need yeah. guys. It's not like they're this is some luxury they have of time where they can figure it all out and wait 10 months and figure it out. Crime rates now. People are dying now. People right. are in trouble now. Right. So yeah. that's, I think, the biggest, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's the biggest hurdle, right, is like time needed to fill these departments and their necessities for X, Y, Z, and time for training and proper procedure, policy, administrative stuff. Yeah. If you're not giving that time properly, it's just all going to be rushed through, like you said, and people aren't going to be you know, looked over. And, and certain communities and, and policing departments across the country, like you just said, I think you just gave a perfect solution. Hire more local. Be more involved in the community. Hire local community officers. That would get you to a better place between the community and the police force in terms of respect, trust, accountability. Because I, I think that's the A word, right? Like the A word life, at the end of the day. Life skills. Yeah. Life skills. They used to joke about, uh, you know, you're in academy, you're 22 years old, and, uh, you know, right after graduation, you're going to go to domestic violence call and you're going to stand between Mr. and Mrs. Smith while they're you know, having a domestic, you know, violent episode and you're going to be the, the, the guy that's there, you know, you're the, you're the, you're the judge and, and the, and the jury and you're the, you know, you're going to, you're going to be the mediator. You're going to be the, the priest or the rabbi yeah. and, in that, in that kitchen at two o'clock in the morning with, uh, you know, people, you know, all sorts of things going on and, you, and there you go. Teach that one, you know, your, right. your Monday morning quarterbacks, teach that one. Yeah. Teach, teach to deal, teach somebody how to deal with a, a crazed situation where someone is just having the worst day of their life and maybe throw in a little violence on the side. So they're trained. You know, how, how are you going to train that? Experience is some of it, quite a bit of it, actually. And, you know, I, I tell you. The, but if uh, you have a rookie cop, they don't have the experience. No. So that's and, the problem. And they get thrown into these and things. And they're at a disadvantage. And they're, you know, it's, they're expected to know everything about everyone. And, you know, it's really... They're thrown into a, a situation where their judgment could be challenged to the extreme at a moment's notice, and they have to make a decision. And it's, you know, that you know, tragedy sometimes, you know, is the result. And you're not going to so much train that, and, and, uh, and, and things happen. But fewer things happen, I think, when uh, uh, certain standards and guidelines put you in the right position at the right time rather than the wrong position at the wrong time. Got it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to oversimplify it, but, but, uh, you know, there's, there's mistakes that are made and there's things that can be avoided and not all the time, you know, uh, guys, guys go through horrible situations where they have n no control over what's taking place. And, and, uh, you know, it, it can be a, ver a very frightening thing. And, you know, you know, I, I we're fortunate where we live is that we don't have the, the, the vo sheer volume of crime and, and, and um, 
and and drugs and uh, bad things happening uh, at, at the pace they happen in other areas and you know we're just uh, you know. well that gives you guys the time to sit and think right <laughs> that gives you guys a little more well think about it if it's if it's if it's insanity every day day in and day out and they got yeah. understaffed and they got all these issues they're not going to really put much thought or time into the administration but yeah. if you have some if you're stable you have the right team in place and you guys are self sufficient which it seems like you are and have been because of competency um that allows you to take more time yeah. into these thought processes and take more time into what you can do to help the community yeah. and, and, and such. I think maybe, like you said, some of these apartments are stretched out and then they don't have that mental space yeah. or even the bodies or the, or the communication to talk about these yeah. things, to change it. And that might be a part of the issue. And I know you've done some great things within this community in the last, you know, 10 years, even five years, whatever, um, you know, creating relationships with the community whether it be parades or events or different things, you're, you're actively doing this. And I think that people can learn from what you're doing and being so involved with your community. And obviously you're from your community, yeah. so it makes it, you're more invested, right? Yeah. Like what, what's the level of investment somebody's going to have into their community if they don't live there, right? Well, that's how, true. how much are you really going to care if, if at the end of the day you're driving back and you're not in the community? You're not really going to care all that much about the residual, yeah, you got to go back and work there the next day, but it's not like the city's on fire, you right. know? So it, now a part of that, though, too, is the A word I was mentioning, accountability, right? So sure. that's a big thing. I feel like today the issue that the average person has with policing is maybe the lack of accountability that happens sometimes with certain things. And obviously these other things are blown up more than other things, right? For media, for uh, TV purpose, for to incite um, and excite people about certain things. So these things get broadcasted over others. But how important is accountability, right? Because if, if you have a community that feels like their police force is, is accountable for their actions and they admit their wrongdoings and they admit the faults and they move on progressively from those faults, wouldn't that be more of a better way to kind of do this than have so much resistance? Because it seems to me like there's just a lot of you guys don't know the way things work in the world of police and the big bad world. And that's why you don't get it and you'll never get it. And so these policies can't change because you know, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, and, and to your point, right? It's insanely hard for a guy to come onto a situation and immediately just, it's not like a pilot, right? Where they get time to read a little manual mm -hmm. and they get time to sit there and they think about the crisis and then they can act on it. Police have to act in the second mm -hmm. and they have to be aware because if some guy's got a knife or some person's got a bat or whatever, you have to be ready to handle mm -hmm. situations. So I'm not saying there's no difficulty in split-second decisions and accountability, but if those decisions are made and they're a bad decision, why not have them accountable for the bad decision? If you're a doctor and you make a bad decision, do you not get sued and your license taken away for malpractice? Mm. Do you, as a, a teacher, not get reprimanded for doing a certain thing incorrectly or mm. teaching certain, a certain, you know, certain way? You get reprimanded. Right. Why is not that same accountability applied to policing? And that's kind of the question I've always had is, is it because the job is such a split-second decision? And if so, what is the solution? Or maybe what is your loose idea of maybe something that could be construed better at uh, least to both parties yeah i go back to standards and and uh, for example new york state we are extremely well trained suffolk county extremely well trained east hampton all your local agencies we're extremely well trained which is why you don't see a lot of instances because we have standards <laughs> right that are that we choose to adopt you know we have standards that, that state 
rules and guidelines, criminal justice services, but we have other standards, accreditation standards, that we choose to achieve and adopt. And f for now, we can all choose them. The state hasn't forced everybody to become accredited. They should, and there's no reason why they haven't, as far as I'm concerned. They should, but people aren't told that department is accredited. People aren't told, like I, I watch the news, I look at a TV, and, and, I, and I look at you know X, Y, and Z going on somewhere. You can tell if a department's accredited or not. You can tell. If there's something that bad that happened that shouldn't have happened, uh, yeah, guess what? It probably wasn't, an, you know, accredited, you know, when 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 that officer did X, Y, and Z with with you know, it, it, you know, in an elementary school with a taser and you know what I mean. So sure. these these absolutely you've got to be kidding me moments, mm. right? That defy common sense. Well, guess what? You got a problem in your hiring process, because Mr. Common Sense. Shouldn't have had, you know, shouldn't have had that, had that taser, you know, at, in that elementary school. Now I'm being, I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek. But, you know, we all see the same things. And, but not all the time is it portrayed in the media the right way. Sometimes it's portrayed the wrong way. Or sometimes prematurely there's a, there's a split judgment made. Mm. And that's that's a little bit of danger, and that's a, a lot of danger in the media's hands, and it's not always handled correctly. Or oh properly. no, no, never, never. It's, you know. it's, you, I mean, you look at two different stations. It's a cliche now. The different stations. It's, it's are, hilarious. One is this yeah. one. One is this one. Yeah. And, and but but it is you know turn on the BBC sometime in the morning, and and look at the world news or or you know <laughs> watch different news stations. It's absolutely incredible that you can get two different incidents, you know, from the same story. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and locally, man, they're not, they're not far behind locally either. Let me, you know, yeah. it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. it's, uh, I would say it's even more biased locally because you have a, a even a, like a play into it. Like there's, well, there's more invested into it. Listen, I, I've seen, you know, I've got a, a lot of friends in the local media, but uh, I'll tell you this. I, I've seen stories in the media that are, reprints of stories in another periodical let's put it that way right like they like this one took the read this article and wrote basically plagiarized it and posted it yeah absolutely I'm almost <laughs> word for word yeah and it's like come on you know that's just that's, it's lazy reporting <laughs> that's that's exactly that's exactly what it is and and it's very difficult for them to get good people too and we have a lot of gifted journalists and, and uh, um, a, a lot of good coverage. But now and again, you wonder, geez, I wonder why my phone's not ringing. Geez, I wonder why I didn't get asked about that. And, uh, and you're like, geez, I wonder why. It happens. You're waiting for a phone call, and no one really gives a, a hoot what really happened. Well, sometimes, but do but but do you <laughs> but do you think do you think they're not going to get the answer they want to get because it's such a closed off system internally, 
like what what you know what police chief or PBA president or something who is gonna come up and be like oh yeah that guy did it and he was wrong you know like no one's gonna say that about no. their own so how, is it is do they maybe sense a wall there of approachability well it's I think it's I think that's that would be a a, a dangerous lazy attitude you mm-hmm. know I, I mean they they should know that you're approachable for right. doing your job right you know I sure. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have my cell phone number. That's for sure. Yeah. And uh, and same thing with with Mike Solo down the town. He's he's a, he's approachable. Yeah. No, and he's very very yeah, approachable. Yeah. Very nice guy too. Yeah. Very approachable. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I'll throw a plug at him. Uh, excellent, excellent department. I yeah. Grew up with most of their most of their most of their people, and and uh, they're doing very well. It's hard, but it's hard again. It's hard for them to keep guys. It's hard. It's hard to get locally. Got locally. Local. Well, well can yeah, you I afford mean, to live out here? You know, that's that's, that's the thing. That's, the cost of living, the expenses, etc. They're finding that problem with we've, everybody. We've all got the same. Yeah, we've yeah. all got the same problem. Whether you're yeah. a police officer, whether you're you know a restaurant worker, yeah. whether yeah. you're a person doing farming, or whether you're doing something, there's yeah. there's an issue with housing out here in the community and everything. Yeah. And I guess we'll shift to that. The community. You've done a lot of things for the community in the last you know decade. Um, you know, bringing certain uh, events in and, and parades and such and What's that experience like, getting to work with the community on such a fun level? And then getting, like, I saw you at the, uh, you know, the uh, 5K, and that was yeah. such a fun thing, seeing you out there. And, and It was pretty scary seeing me out there is what it was. And <laughs> 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 I'm but, so out of shape. <laughs> no, but it's, it's like that. It's you're, you're there. You're in the community. You're involved. You're trying to well, be active it's, and it's a part fun, of it. It's fun. I mean, you know, one of my – actually, one of my biggest learning experiences was, was, was a march, and it was the, the march um, – a couple of years ago that, it, that some of our, our local kids had uh, and and uh, For the George Floyd protests or? correct yeah and and the young ladies that brought that to the community that was a, that was a local home grown event there was, and the, the day before there was a there was an event for younger kids or a different group a group from Sag Harbor and then yeah and then the, the, the George Floyd one and uh, we'd never done any anything of that size and uh, I got to tell you that was uh a very positive experience for not just the, the, the quote-unquote protesters, but those of us that live here, I mean, we knew, we knew everybody. We knew the organizers. They knew us. And, and um, just having a homegrown event of that size, it was probably next to the St. Patty's Day Parade. I mean, it was pretty darn large. Yeah, it was big. Large. It was big, yeah. And um, went off without a hitch. And um, well, what a what a what the community a, felt strongly about something. They felt oh, they needed oh, yeah. to oh, come yeah. out and, and protest it. Yeah. And this, but now now what do you say? What do you say to the cops internally that may be thinking, you know, this crap? You know, like wh- what? How do you respond to that? I'm not saying specifically there was any or there is some or whatever, yeah. but how do you approach somebody who sees that and goes, they don't know what they're talking about. Like the people that don't see that there's a community effort yeah. being put forth clearly that there's an, an issue being risen, yeah. whether it's your fault, not your fault, in your grounds, out of your grounds. Yeah. There's an issue being brought up in the community. How, you know, how do you get them to kind of see that? Or well, is that what you're saying? You, if you don't hire the right person, they're not going to see it. You, you, uh, you have to grab that event. That, that was our event. You know, that, that wasn't uh, a black-white event as far as I'm concerned. No. That, that's our community. Yeah, and and, yeah. Uh, and and your friends were out there, and my friends were out there, and these kids that were running it, 
I went to school with their parents for crying out loud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's our community. So I, I think that rubs off you. I mean, you have to you have to take ownership of that, not just the event, but what's going on around you, the event proper. And we got tons of help. Uh, we, we, we had people come in from outside and help us low-key. I had tons of cops. Uh, I had town people, village people. I had all sorts of cops there. Bike uniforms. You know, what, what we sometimes you, you call a Class C uniform or, or you know, um, you know, it just, it was, uh, you know, we told those kids, we told those kids um, the first afternoon when we met with them, we started talking about shutting down the road, taking over the road. And they were saying, well, what happens if we, if the crowd steps out into the road and traffic gets shut down? I said, I expect the road's going to get shut down. You're going to step out in the road and do me a favor. When you do, give me like a one-minute notice. And the woman looks at me, the young girl. She says, can we do that? I said, yeah, I expect you to do it. Right. It's going to be easier for us if you do. Right, because then it's less, it's more organized. It's more you're helping and, the organization and, and, of this, and, and, and you're showing that you're involved with the community directly <laughs> instead of being like put off and they're yeah. fighting to get this done. Yeah. You're working with them to get this done because you believe in the same principles. Those now, are I will say, funny moments, I got to tell you. I will say Mike yeah. Tracy I have in front of me, I would say arguably, if you asked me, is a more progressive thinker than those of his uh, field. You know, I would say you're a more progressive uh, policeman and, and police chief and, and the way that you hold your values. And, and uh, in, in terms of you want to move forward, you want to progress. You don't want to go backward. You don't want to stay in the same spot, right? Yeah. So the way that you approach your situations is you talk to the community. You talk to these people. You talk to your officers. Yeah, you you to. talk to the administration yeah. to figure these things out in a, in a full circle yeah. event. Because yeah. that's the only way it works. Like you're saying, there's no you can't just do one thing and expect the rest to change. You can't change one policy and then expect the whole department to be right on board right, right at right. once. People are going to be battling it. People are going to have their issues. They're going to approach you privately and say, hey, Mike, why are we doing this? Right. And what's the point? You know, yep. They don't know what they're talking about. But it's your job as the chief to kind of say, hey, I believe in this. Yeah. And, and if I believe in it, I've been doing this job 40 years. I'm from this community. Yeah. Don't you think you should take an ear and listen? You know, that's... So maybe that's what is... Uh, uh, time, time will tell. <laughs> time will tell, right. And uh, just to kind of shift back over to the members of the town itself and what we kind of comprise of, we do have a large artist community out here, a large creative community out here. I think that's where you see a lot of expression come from and a lot of these things like you're doing. You're, you're doing community parades and events and, and things that are within the community, but you notice that you're getting these things accomplished most likely because these people are creative. A lot of these people have these creative ideas that are very intuitive, and mm. they know that maybe these things can alter some change or create something good. So, right. so that's a big important part of your job, kind of, is, is, is working with them to yeah. produce these things. And, and how exciting is that for you as a, like a fun, creative guy to like get involved with these yeah. things? It, it's, 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 um, you hit it right on the head when you say produce because that's actually what you're doing when you're out there writing. Mm. You're producing here. Sure. If you're doing a television show uh, on LTV, you're producing, mm. and it is it very very much is a creative outlet. And you you are you doing something with your hands? Yeah, per perhaps you are. And whether it's putting together uh, something on a stage or you're bringing an event together, you're building something, right? It's an event. Um, that that I find is, you know, very very healthy for your mind, and uh, and it's a it, it's very very interesting. I mean, it's it's incredible. 
you know, LTV, I, again, I'll mention LTV, uh, the amount of things that are going on up there. On oh, Mike Clark is, is incredible. Oh, he's got, absolutely. he's doing everything over there. That guy's absolutely. doing everything. Yep. And, so glad and, they got him involved there. It's, yep. it's making the difference. And, and they're, they're a big help for broadcasting different things and, and bringing things to the community. Um, and I think they, they can be a, a hell of an avenue, uh, you, you know, to, to spread events and to spread, you know, knowledge of what's going on in town, what's going on around us, really, what's going on around us. I mean, that, and, and, and the more honest information that's out there, whether it be entertainment or, or, or uh, you know, information journalism, and, and, and you know, the better we are. Well, because it's going to yeah. bring us together, right? We're going to read right. something in the paper. We're going to say, oh, hey, this yeah. connects us. That that big developer is going to buy that piece of land that we all love. Oh, yeah. let's all get together as a town and protest oh, that. Oh, or, yeah. You know, it's, it's all tied directly. And I guess we can even chirp on that, too. That's how life has changed on the East End, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is, and I'm sure you can understand, you've been here longer than I have. Yeah. Um, born and raised, I'm here since 91. So the the community itself used to be a lot different, right? The right. vacationers, the summer people that we talk about in this podcast, the summer people that we used to talk about, quote yeah. unquote, they used to be guys from Nassau County, firemen, yeah. uh, policemen, yeah. fishermen, yeah. Uh, regular blue collar guys that would yeah. come out with their families, hang out at the beach, get a hot dog, you know. Yeah. This is what happened. This is what the town was for so long. Yeah. But then in the early 2000s, you know, reality TV and big brands and marketing and all these things <laughs> just came up and ate the Hamptons, swallowed us up whole, um, blasted all these high-end retail fronts. And, you know, it used to be only Ralph Lauren. Now it's Prada. Yeah. Now it's Cartier. Now sure. it's this and that. You know, Balenciaga. We see the landscape changing, but it's yeah. even the people, right? The people that were like this wholesome Long Island uh, folk, coming from like blue collar communities. Yeah. It's now really not that. It's more so these summer people and people that are there for like four days out of the year. And you kind of lose, and I had Josh Brussel on my podcast and we talked about this, that that there, there's a big gap in community because of that, because yeah. of the displacement and the housing and all of these things we have sure. challenges with. That's caused a huge divide. How, how can you relate to this? I mean, you came out in the 80s and you see it now for your sons. Right. What is right. it? Yeah, it's it, it's it's very uh, very difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, for young folks <laughs> here, to afford to live here, uh, remain here, work here, and then earn enough to buy a piece of land and build a house. Uh, that's happening far and far less every day, and uh, you're going to end up, you know, seeing a bigger group of people here that that are relying on their families to push them into the, you know, the housing market with some assistance or, 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 you know, um, attachments to homes and so forth and so on. And and I know the town board tried to address that, uh, in the last few years with the, the, um, attachments, the, they, they called them right. Like the apartments and mother, daughter. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that, that's going to be, more of a solution or, or, or reality, not counting the McMansions that are putting on sure, sure. additional McMansions. Right, right. Um, but yeah, no, the, these these add, add, add on to the house uh, for the rest of the family. Uh, I think you're going to see that the need for that increase because as you said, you can't build affordable housing at the rate that people think 
they can right. uh, to succeed. It's, well, it's impossible, right? They've mathematically made it impossible. If you're spending quite literally 60 to 70% of your income yeah. on your mortgage yeah. after living expenses, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm not talking about, you know, no offense to the to the boomer generation, but it's a lot of, uh, hey, kid, don't buy the avocado toast and the cup of coffee and you'll be able to afford a house, which they don't <laughs> understand that it's not... It's not a house isn't eighty five thousand dollars like it was in nineteen eighty. It's yeah. it's three hundred and twenty percent more than that. Oh yeah. And and guess what? Median income has barely budged. Yeah. So 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 for yeah. the the income rate to housing rate, and obviously more amplified out here because we live in a massive bubble. It's almost made an impossible equation mathematically yeah, for yeah. kids, and that's really the challenge. And and like you said, it's it's uh, people are depending more on their parents and their home life. And um, yeah. I'm recording this podcast out of a basement right yeah. now in my parents' home. Like this is this is the reality of what we're living in, and what we have to work through. Yeah. And yes, I can move somewhere else for uh, which is eventually the plan, and 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 you know live and work. But then I'm not involved in my community anymore. That's right. So they've actively pushed my our entire generation out of here yep. with kind of a wave. And yes, there are people that stayed. There's families that stayed. But those families, no offense to them, and they're they're my friends and they're my family, and they're going to be paying four forty five hundred dollars a month for the yeah. next thirty years, and they're not going to be happy being weekend warriors trying to afford this lifestyle. It's yep. it's insane. So. Yeah. And, and, and yes, there's tools available, right? Like everyone I know that owns a home at my age, right. very few of them that do, there's maybe five. The ones that do, they rent their homes yeah. because that's the only way to do it. You have to rent. So even the ones that, you know, did make it out alive and oh, did yeah. get the scraps to actually get something going, they're not even living there year round because they got to rent out to, right. to make the mortgage because they can't afford 70% of their income to the mortgage. So we yeah. it's just kind of like these solutions that are a little too far too far away. Too far away, yeah. and 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 to be honest, too late. Yeah. And and uh, it's tragic to see that because yeah. you know you really you really want things to be better and you want things to be affordable for people. But where does it lie? Yeah. And now you see the businesses suffer because of it. I'm sure you oh, talk yeah. to Jerry Larson all the time about business yeah. and commerce. Yeah. I'm sure Jerry will tell you the businesses in town aren't getting the adequate staffing yeah. they need. They're not getting the people that they need to work at these places, yeah. especially in in local government, town governments. Uh, yeah. It, different positions because yeah. of this lack of housing. It's all yeah. stemming from these crises. So yeah. what do we do? You know, and it's like you said, they yeah. can pass some laws to shift some things around, give you a, a ability to town code to build out a basement or build out whatever. Yeah. But, you know, eventually that's just going to get abused too by the wrong people and the wrong population, yeah. and that's going to turn into something. So yeah. it, it's it's a, it's a very tough situation. Yeah. And and it's, it's hard for me to look at it as a younger guy with a positive outlook and not a grim outlook. Yeah. So I'm trying. I'm trying. We're all trying. And yeah. uh, that's the challenge. Well, there's, there's your 1984, you know, <laughs> 2014 uh, comparison. You went, yeah. you went from, you know, we had some summer uh, residents to mostly. Mostly. Summer, right. Mostly you know, summer it's, residents. It's, uh, Those houses are going to sit. What they say the stat was? 70% of the homes sit vacant? Yep. I mean, come on. Well, only yeah. ten thousand people are here year round. How hard is it to, to house those ten thousand people when you got shit just sitting there? And I'm not saying rent yeah. out your rich. <laughs> I'm not saying oh everybody well, get mansions for free. Look, I'm just saying look, there could be land look, that they could have bought look, or things at, they could have done. Look at your municipal government leadership. Yeah. Slightly west of us, now we're moving east. You know your 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 political control. Um, you know the makeup of those parties are not. They were one at what one time a last name that would be second or third generation. Yeah, and, and right. it's, it's changing because you've got 
you know, somebody that's been here 20 years, you know, is, is now considered a, a local. Whereas like I've been here, you know, a zillion years and I'm not local. <laughs> I'm a summer kid. Right. You know what I mean? So, right. so you're, you're, it's a lot of, a lot is changing there too. And, and then, which is going to, that'll have an impact on your zoning or that'll have an impact on, you know, you, as your construction industry explodes ridiculously or it has, I should say. It still is right. Currently. It, it is, it is, um, at one point, are we overbuilt? Are we overbuilt when we can't even jam enough builders in here to get the work done or, or, or a job? Or the uh, permit takes six months to pass because or, there's so or, much work. Or, right. the, or the building, the house takes two years to build. How silly is that? And we're not talking about, and, and let's be fair here to, you know, we're talking about building. And we're not even talking about that. We're talking about waste. We're talking about they're taking $3 million, $5 million homes, demolishing them that were built by famous architects and such. Yeah. They're just wrecking them down, putting up a big, ugly, modern box, calling yeah. it a day, slapping it on the wrist, and you move on. Yeah. So when does that change? I don't think we're going to. I think it's just going to keep going and, and get progressively worse. And I hate to say that because yeah. it's sad to know that as a guy that's from my community, I'm sitting here bitching and complaining. People think I'm just like a whiny <laughs> little shit. But it's like, okay, you try growing up somewhere your whole life and being accustomed to it and comfortable to it. And then, then at the end of it, them telling you, you know, good luck, man. Either struggle every day for the rest of your life yeah. and become financially inefficient or break the chains and become out of your box. And I've chose option two. Yeah. So I'm trying to eventually reach yeah. this thing to a point where it's big enough to where I am lucrative, where I can come back and buy a house here one day. And hopefully my successes will allow me to do that. Yep. But I've ruled that out in the short term. Yeah. And I think a lot of my generation has oh, as well. Sure. So sure. I, that's a big problem for a community that you're trying to fill an age gap in. What's the median age in East Hampton? 59? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's be real here. Yeah. And it's only growing. Yeah. So, and kids are not having kids as much as they are. So right. you have that even, that's a whole nother world. Yeah. You know, yeah. you push kids into college loans, car loans and house loans. How are they going to afford to feed a baby? Yeah. You've that's given, right. you, you've set them up for failure in almost every instance and then taken away the support nets yeah. because you make just a little too much or just a little too little. I found that with myself personally. Yeah. I didn't have health insurance for four years. Yeah. And the reason I didn't have it was because I wasn't paying $800 a month to have it. Right. And that's on the low end. I know people that are paying $1,200, dollars oh, sure. So, so you look at that, and then I'm saying, I'm, like, I'm not getting health insurance. So yeah. now my life's at risk yeah. and financial life. If something would have happened to me, I'm buried financially for the rest of my yeah. life. My parents are buried or whoever's going to co-sign that medical loan or whatever it is. They're buried for the yeah. rest of their lives. Yeah. So we have this system in place that's not very supportive. Right. Especially for those at my group. I remember calling the health, the health thing. And I told them I made, you know, whatever one year it was when I was freelancing work and it was yeah. like, you know, $27,000. And they were like, that's too much. You can't make yeah. that to have health insurance. <laughs> I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. But then if I make no money, it's free. So it's like, wh where are these, where's the incentive? Where's the incentive for anybody? <laughs> and it's just tough. It's tough to yeah. make this system work when it seems inefficient. And how do we fix the systems? We get more progressive thinking people that have new ideas, fresh ideas. Yeah. And I'm not talking about progressive left progressive or right you know, progressive. I'm talking about progressive ideology in general, moving forward with new ideas, right. things that aren't tried before. And I think coming back to that circle and full point, that's what we need to see in police departments. Yeah. We need to see some new things being tried. We need to throw some new shit at the wall and see if it sticks. I think is, is what we're getting to or alluding to, but you can only work within your latitude that the state gives you to work in yep. with the accreditations that you have. Yep. So it creates another vacuum and another hole and another set of hurdles. Yep. So really, 
we're talking full circle. We've chatted about it all. Oh, yeah. And at the end of the day, I think our, our final statements on it is be diligent in your administrative process. Yep. Be diligent in who you hire into your community. Absolutely. Maybe change slash critique or have the cojones to critique the civil service system for once and push back a little. And then maybe become more involved in the community and bring some accountability. You know, there was a, there was a, um, I started to say about the part-time cops. Remember that? Yeah. 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 You know, one of the things that was brought to my attention by, by one of the other chiefs was the concept of, you know, with these part-time cops, they haven't taken a test yet. Well, if you're a part-time officer, just as an example, say you were a part-time officer successfully for like two, two straight years and you got glowing, you know, marks from your, from your instructors and from your, your chiefs and your lieutenants and all the bosses, in your department you did very well. Why why wouldn't you be able to give a person points on their civil service exam for hmm. becoming a part time officer and almost like ROTC, like they kind of get like ex- a, a start ex- off ex- exactly because they you know you want to give control to the chiefs and to the administrators and to the experienced law enforcement people then allow us to critique and write up something for these kids that are part-time officers. Allow us to assess them and evaluate them like they do with teachers. Right. And add that to the civil service score, and all of a sudden you're going to have a, a change in the, in, the, in the system. You get a local kid, he gets the opportunity to go to the academy, goes to the academy, and we allow our East End or Long Island departments to critique those men and women who are doing the job part-time and add a score to their written test. Yeah. How about that for idea number one? Maybe. Start it there. It's worth trying, and, and it, would, it, would give, it would give the community more control and more say. Why? Because your chiefs are appointed by your municipal board. Your chiefs are appointed after testing, by the, right. by the local government, by right. the people. Right. And so there you go. You got a, a trained person in the department, maybe several, that are able to evaluate these folks. We evaluate it. We, we, we make the decision whether they keep their jobs or not. Sure. So we, we certainly are evaluating them. But let's add to their your ability to boost their scores. And, and, and it's a local person that you've chosen to hire and you've put through the academy they've passed, why not make that an avenue for a full-time local job? Well, you're basically saying in short term, if I'm wrong, incentivize good behavior. Really? Absolutely. Incentivize good conversations, good behavior, good responses, good review. Now, obviously, with body cams and things like that, there's more accountability naturally that people have to have. You know, officers can't say certain things they used to be able to. They don't have freedoms to dick around like they used to and elbow some guy, you know, rough them up or whatever. It's a lot harder now because they have accountability, which is a good thing. It's positive. Um, It's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of crap, I'm sure, administratively, but that's part of the process if you want to progress. Um, And eventually, those processes will become more mainstream and streamlined, and they won't be as inefficient as they are now um, once it's more uniform. Right. And, and, and easily available. The last thing we'll riff on here is something very important, and it's mental health. And it's something you're passionate about. It's something I'm passionate about. And we were just talking um, off air about the change and how it went from, in your day, you know, the van with the white net, so to speak, and uh, 
a little team of people. And, and now you're seeing that team expand, but you see it more in Suffolk County and, and a little further up the island. And what's what are you guys enacting here to kind of give yourself a better chance to deal with mental health crisis and mental health issues? Because we know that's rampant in this country right now. Yeah, we, we've seen a, a huge increase in the amount of people in uh, mental health distress um, that are just kind of caught between the cracks. And, you know, people call 911 and, uh, you know, an ambulance comes, police come, and, and uh, all too often, you know, people are unfortunately uh, left with the, the only option being, uh, you know, riding a, in, in a police car, f- you know, to a medical facility or to a mental health facility. And um, we had an interesting thing come up about two and a half years ago. Uh, and it was ac- actually the, it wasn't a new idea, but it was brought up to us locally by uh, Edna Steck. Friend talk, of, yeah. yeah, a friend of ours who's a longtime member of the Antibias Task Force and also just a, just a huge advocate for the community. Um, and she brought, she brought it to the uh, Antibias t- Task Force group. We started talking about uh, with police reform with, with Mike Solo and, and uh, my agency, and then it, it kind of got out. Uh, Fred Thiel got involved and was able to uh, get the Family Service League of Suffolk um, she's the head, the head lady, um, and, and uh, one of her assistants in, in the uh, Family Service League, Jeffrey Stegman, and the, um, the head of the uh, neuroscience and psychiatric unit at Stony Brook, um, uh, Dr. Christy Golden. Uh, these folks actually put together a group of, of, of East End cops, um, you know, department heads, and, and they started bringing us together, and we, we talked about a, a program where a mental health professional is put on the phone and allowed to speak with this person in the field, this, this person in, in, uh, in distress, and the medical, medical health professional tries to make an assessment. Does this person need to be transported to uh, a facility or not? Or can they be advised maybe they need uh, to see their practitioner in the morning? and. Basically, it helps us in the field make a determination whether or not to make that transport. And it, it has cut down on the number of transports uh, up west via the police for these people that, that uh, are in distress. And it's really been a wonderful program. And all the East End Police Departments are working on it. Again, I, you know, Edna Stack and Fred, Fred Thiel and, and uh, uh, some others have uh, been instrumental um, and, and uh, it's, it's brought something new to us. And our goal with this is to continue it. And through Karen Borstein and Family Service League, eventually have uh, what people think we have now, you know, a vehicle and a unit out here. We do not. And neither do most of your communities. Uh, but someday we will need that. And, you know, f- with funding, um, you know, perhaps we'll get it. And, you know, we just people need to be aware that there is a need. The need is still out there. We are making some progress, but you know, ideally, the you know the the, the place uh, uh, for the person that's in that distress, if it's a nonviolent situation, uh, some some place other than you know our custody. Um, well, and there's a number too. There's not just nine one one, right? Now they have nine eight eight, right? I think is the crisis yeah, hotline. Yeah, the state has a the state has a num a number. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, yeah, nine eight eight is the uh, crisis hotline for the state. Uh, yeah. for mental health uh, crisis. Yeah, and that's the Office of Mental Health. Uh, it's actually part of criminal justice, uh, this co- collaboration unit. Now, you just said the, the anti-bias task force. Yeah. 
and I and that's a term you've mentioned a few times, but I don't think we've ever really in-depthly covered it here on the podcast. Is that something that you helped create? Or is that something that had always been in play? Or No, that volunteer group that uh, the town board created that a few years ago. It's a volunteer group. People you know, show an interest to get a, appointed to it. I was originally put on it because I was police chief. And I've, I've actually asked them, this, I'm, I'm going to try to stay because I produced this TV show, Diversity. I'm not going to be shocked if you haven't heard of it, but we do it about every other <laughs> month. And um, we, we invite interesting people in the community, and we showcase different things that are being done in the community, different folks, um, different backgrounds. You know, it, it's, uh, it's a whole mishmash of, of uh, people that we invite in. And, um, you know, we try to, we try to uh, showcase what's, what's going right in the community, what's going on, people would be interested in. And, uh, you know, so we're doing that. And, and, uh, but that, that's one of the things that that group has um, spearheaded is, is uh, this TV show for the community. But hope, we hope to keep it going. Uh, Sylvia Overby was one of the, the founders of the show as well, Audrey Gaines, and again, Edna Stack. But that's something positive, you know, that's like kind of a side benefit of my job is I get some way to give back through that through that little outlet, creative outlet we talked about. Right. And and, <laughs> and you're out of this come September. September. Uh, you're yeah. going to be retiring after 40 years of service. 40 years, yeah. And you're taking <laughs> on Farmer John. Yeah. My, my, my wife is the brains behind the operation. She's going she's gonna to have a uh, flower farm, and I'm going to be growing primarily habaneros for a hot sauce. And, uh, boom, I'll, yeah, I'll make sure you get some. Mike's hot. <laughs> Mike's hot. Honey has competition. Watch out. Uh, coming yeah. soon. Yeah. It's, it, it's a great way to avoid the noise and the chaos and the, and basically turn your speakers down a little bit and, uh, you know, put things in perspective again, you know, so it's a, it's a good hobby. It's a good, it's an interesting thing. It's good for you. And, uh, we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And, and the last thing I'll ask you. How hard is it after 40 years of public service to a town you care greatly about to reflect on that? Like, how, how does that feel? Are you, because you're so strongly connected into the community, you know, what's that feeling going to be like when you're not involved anymore, but you have the urge to be? And is that just you becoming more involved with these task forces and these uh, committee groups and things you're going to do after? Or is it you've served your time and, and it's time for the next people to hold torch and, and move on? No, I, th I think that I'll stay involved. Um, I'll probably lose my marbles if I don't. Um, but no, I'm that's gonna, why I'm asking. Yeah, because yeah. after 40 years of public service, you feel yeah. like you're indebted, like a nurse. You know, you feel indebted to the community. You feel like you, you, you want to help. Till, till the end, you know? Yeah. Well, it's funny because you, I think we all overestimate how much um, us retiring or, you know, retire, leaving is going to impact. But I, I think the reality is, is, is not as much as we, we tend to think. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I've interested, you know, as I said, with doing the program and then also I've, I've been interested in East Hampton Ocean Rescue. I'm going to be the village's liaison to Ocean Rescue for some time to come. Hmm. Um, Love it. Yeah, so we, we started that out on, you know, in its infancy many years ago, and we'd like to see it stay on task. Great bunch of folks in that. They're just fantastic group of people, and just I want to see how much we can help them out. And, and uh, you know, toying with the idea of getting back in the fire department. We'll see. 
Hey, there it is. <laughs> little hook and ladder for Mike. It wasn't a hook and ladder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you could leave us, Mike, on one thought, one thought at all, what thought would you leave the community of East Hampton? One thing I would say that sticks with me the most is how lucky I've been in this job, how lucky I've been in this community. Um, my family, my friends, I've been treated extremely well as a public official by the municipalities that I've served, uh, the groups that I've been involved in. I'm just so lucky. And I have to say I've enjoyed every minute of it. And, uh, you know, I've gotten a lot from that. I think it's maybe selfish, selfishly, you know, I think that's, uh, that's okay. People in this community have been very, very good to me. And uh, I owe the community a lot in return. So, Mike Tracy, East Hampton Village Police Chief after 40 years. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Three Mile Media. Three Mile Media is your all-in-one media, broadcasting, design, and marketing agency of the East End. Does your business need content creation or social media management? How about a new logo or website? What about designing packaging for a new product? Three Mile Media has you covered on all fronts and even has a broadcasting division to help promote your companies to thousands of listeners within your target markets. Three Mile Media specializes in professional product and retail photography, videography, commercial design, online marketing, sales, and media consulting. See what Three Mile Media can do for your business after just a few short months of service. Visit our website at threemilemedia.com for more information.